Today, we want to talk about Jonah. And I know for some of you, what you're saying is, finally, somebody I know. I mean, this Obadiah guy, I don't know where he came from, but uh, Jonah, Jonah, I've been taught about Jonah all my life. Ever since I was a little child, I've heard the story of Jonah. And and it's true, we know a little bit more about him, but today, God's going to unveil a little bit more and perhaps to help us understand not just that it's a fish story, but it's a message for us as these ancient words speak to us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this word, for speaking to us through the ages, for having truth that is eternal, that can change our lives. And that's what we've come here looking for today, for you, Lord, to change our lives by your spirit and by your word. For this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to the book of Jonah, and there we're going to discover some things together. We're not going to read from from first to last, but we will be referencing some verses. I'll try to put those on the screen, but you may want to underline or check or mark somehow in your Bible these particular verses. Let's figure out what we can know about Jonah other than what we already know. The first thing that we find out in verse 1 of chapter 1 is that Jonah was the son of Amittai. Now, again, that doesn't tell us a whole lot because we don't know who Amittai was. But it does give us an indication that this is not simply a made-up parable to teach a truth. But we're talking about a real man, Jonah, the son of Amittai. We also find out, if we do a little digging, that his name meant dove. Now, when we think of dove, we often think of peace. And if you know Jonah's message at all, his was not a message of peace. And so his name seems ironic until you come to understand the purpose of God, which we'll discover a little bit later. Now, when was Jonah written? Well, from these particular verses, we probably can't discover that, but there's some things that we can find out that help us. For instance, in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 27, we, we find out that Jonah's ministry took place during the reign of Jeroboam II, which was between 793 and 753 B.C. Now, again, that's not telling us a lot, but as we begin to narrow that date down, we, we don't just look at what the Bible has to say about it. We can also look at some of the things that took place. I tend to think that his ministry took place probably between 760 and 753 B.C. And here's a couple of reasons why. One is because during the reign of Ashurdan III in Assyria, that's where Nineveh is, which we'll find out is where Jonah was being sent. During Ashurdan, Ashurdan III's reign, there was a move away from polytheism, which is the worship of many gods, to monotheism, which is the worship of one god. What could cause such a transition in a culture. Revival? Certainly. And that would place this message, if Jonah's message was at least part of the reason for this transition, that would place it later in, you know, back towards 760, 753. Also, there were some other things that took place. In 765 and 759, there were two great plagues that swept through the area. And uh, in 763, there was a, an eclipse. Now, if you know anything about ancient peoples, they looked at these signs and took them very seriously. 
that God was speaking to them through an eclipse or through an eruption of a volcano or an earthquake, a plague, that God was speaking to them. And we discovered that God very well does speak through these things. And so since these things took place later in Jeroboam's reign, then it is likely that those were probably precursors. It got the people ready to receive the message when Jonah came along. That's probably more detail, more background than you wanted to know, but at least you know I studied a little bit. Now we can also discover, but not from this passage, that Jonah was from the northern kingdom. Again, we, in, in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 45, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Heifer. He was from, that's in the northern kingdom. He was from the northern kingdom, but unlike any of the other prophets we've noticed before who either went to Judah or to Israel, he went, he was sent to Nineveh. Now, I hope you can see this map up here. If you follow the Mediterranean Sea over to the right, you see down in the bottom right-hand corner, you see Gath Heifer. It is located up near the Sea of Galilee, which would be in the northern kingdom. So that's where he's from. You're going to see this map again later. And, uh, I just, but I wanted to point out he was from the northern kingdom, but he was sent to Nineveh in order to do his ministry. So let's dive a little deeper. If you've got your Bibles open, you can look with me at the first uh, three verses here of Jonah chapter 1. And here we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Well, now this is different, isn't it? When God showed up and spoke to the other prophets and says, this is what I want you to do and, and this is what I want you to say, they got up and went and did it. Jonah's reaction was a little bit different. He, he hightailed it and ran. Let's go back to the map. This time I've kind of blocked a few things out. What you'll see, Gath Heifers, where he was from, the port that he was going to sail from was Joppa, which is in the circle in green. God called him to go from Joppa up to Nineveh, which you see on the right-hand side of your screen in the box. That's where God told him to go. Where did he set sail for? Look all the way on the other side of the map. Tarshish in Spain. He virtually went 180 degrees opposite of where God called him to go. He ran from God. He fled from the call of God, from the mission of God. He was bound and determined to do anything but go to Nineveh. Now, why would he not want to get up and go to Nineveh? Well, we could say because it was a long way off. But obviously, if he was willing to board a ship and, and head to Tarshish, some distance must not have been the issue. What was the issue? It was a pretty big city. So going to Tarshish, it would have been inconvenient to, to cover that city with the message. To go there means he would go to a city that was wicked, which has already been mentioned. We know it was a Gentile city. You know, it would have been more convenient if God had sent him to, to Israel or to Judah to speak his message. It was certainly out of his comfort zone. This was cross-cultural missions, and he was going into enemy territory because the Assyrian Empire was an enemy of Israel. So we could come up with a whole list of reasons why 
it would be inconvenient or why Jonah would want to go the other direction. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later exactly why he chose to disobey and to run from God's call. But we'll leave it there for now. Now, I think most of you know at least some of this story, at least a fraction, a portion of it. What we see is that once Jonah boarded this ship, headed for Tarshish, that God sent a great wind into the Mediterranean. It was already known for its storms, but this wind was sent by God specifically. And the storm was so violent, and the wind whipped the waves so much that it threatened to tear the ship apart. And so the captain gets everybody on board ship and says, I don't know what your religion is, but whatever God you have, it's time for you to start praying to your God. And so as they're going through the ship to try to get everybody to to pray, they find Jonah sound asleep in the hold of the ship. They wake him up and say, dude, why aren't you praying? Don't you know we're in trouble? Don't you know we're about to go down? They bring him on deck and they begin to question him to figure out who he is and, and the reason he's there. And they discover that he is a prophet and that he's running from his call. He's running from God. Jonah knew and the sailors knew that he was the reason. And in fact, Jonah said, it's my fault, guys, my bad. I'm the cause of this. I'm running from God. And so he said, here's here's what I want you to do. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. Because I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Well, the sailors didn't want to do that. Because obviously, if Jonah's God was great enough to stir up the sea like this, then you didn't want to get on his bad side. And so they said, no, we're not going to do that. But, but Jonah said, you must. And so they, they prayed for forgiveness in advance. And they tossed him overboard. And just as Jonah said, the seas calmed down. And they marveled at the power of God. That's not the end of the story. You know that. In, in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now at this point, some of you have checked out on me. Because you said, you know what? I can follow this story up to this point. I can really get with this. But Jimmy, are you, are you telling me that you honestly believe That a man could be swallowed whole by a fish and survive three days in the belly of the fish under the water. I mean, that is just outlandish. That obviously is something somebody made up. I mean, fishermen are notorious for lying. This is one of the biggest whoppers of all time. You don't honestly expect me to believe that. And, And pastor, I'm not so sure you believe that. Well, I'm here to tell you right now that I do believe that this story is not a parable, but is real. I'm going to give you three reasons that it's believable. First of all, another Old Testament book we've already mentioned, it's 2 Kings, it's in 1425, mentions Jonah among the prophets. And so you've got a book here that reference another book in the Bible that references Jonah and says he was a prophet from Gath Hefer. The same guy, Jonah, son of Amittai. The second reason I believe that it's true and believable is because Jesus refers to this incident as an illustration of his burial and resurrection. He refers to it as if it is an historical event. So now you've got two biblical references that confirm 
this particular guy, Jonah, and not just that he existed, but that what happened to him happened to him. But the third reason is the biggest reason of all, and that is that I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. Is it normal for a man to be swallowed by a fish and to survive for three days? No. Is it normal for a man to be crucified and buried and rise again on the third day? No. It's not normal. It's supernatural. And you see, if, if I do not believe that my God is able to create a fish and to sustain a man for three days in the belly of that fish, if I don't believe that my God is capable of doing that, then why do I believe Jesus walked the face of the earth healing the sick, raising the dead, and that he himself was resurrected on the third day? It is no more far-fetched to believe one than to believe the other. And so for these three reasons, I believe that this is a real story about a real man and a real fish and a real city. This is not made up. This is not just a parable that's told. It is given to us as fact. And I know that it's hard to believe. But because something is hard to believe doesn't mean it's not real. That's kind of a little side light, but let's get back, get back to the story. Now, from the belly of the fish, Jonah calls out to the Lord, and the Lord hears his cry. And you can go and you can read Jonah's, Jonah's prayer there in, in chapter 2. And again, I encourage you this week to read only four chapters. doesn't take long to go ahead and read all four chapters of Jonah. It'll, it, it'll, be, it'll be a blessing to you to read it. But the answer to Jonah's prayer was that he had the, God had the fish spit him up onto dry land. And it says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. Get up and go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah went. Sometimes we can be hard-headed and it take a little convincing. It took a lot of convincing for Jonah. But this time he didn't run from the Lord. The Lord said, go and I'm going to give you a message. I want you to speak to the city. And so when, when Jonah went this time, he went obeying the call of God, and he delivered a message that was simple and straightforward and quite uncomfortable. The message was this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and this city is going to perish. 40 days. So you can imagine him walking around with the placard that reads, the end is near, from one end of the city to another, tracing ups and downs one street after another, proclaiming the same message of doom and gloom. Forty more days, folks. The clock is ticking. Nineveh is going to perish. When we went through the streets of Bani, that wasn't our message, was it, Jim? No. We were there preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We weren't walking around saying the end is near, although I do believe it is near. We had a different message, a message of love and grace and mercy of God. But this message was a message of doom and gloom. And, and, and you could almost see a scowl on, jo- on Jonah's face as he walked through the streets proclaiming this message. Now, the strangest thing happens. 
He probably expected people to curse him and throw rocks at him and run him out of town on a rail. But instead, they repented. The people were deeply convicted of their sins, and they turned from their sins and believed in his God. From the greatest, the king, all the way to the lowest. From the richest to the poorest. Uptown and downtown, on both sides of the tracks, people put on sackcloth and sat in ashes as evidence of their remorse and their repentance over their sinful ways. And so God, in his mercy, lifted the death sentence. And that brings us to what I want us to focus our attention on this morning. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. God relented. And Jonah wasn't very happy about it. God didn't send that judgment. God didn't overthrow the city, destroy the city and all its 120,000 inhabitants. And in these verses, we discover exactly why Jonah didn't want to go. It wasn't just because it was a big city. It wasn't just because they were wicked. It wasn't just because it was out of his comfort zone. It's because he knew the kind of God he worshipped. That he's gracious, passionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and who relents from sending calamity. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be forgiven. That's why he didn't go. He wanted him to burn. He wanted those 40 days to tick off with no one there to tell them to turn. With no one there to warn them of God's judgment. He wanted them to die. Jonah wanted destruction. But God desired repentance and forgiveness. That's huge, folks. That's big. Because I got to tell you, It's hard to pray for Osama bin Laden. It's hard to pray for Muammar Gaddafi. It's hard to pray for Islamic countries that we know are just breeding grounds for terrorism. It's hard to pray for them. I guess he loved to get mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And Jonah was, was, was a guy who, for the most part in his life, walked with God. He was a prophet. But it's this loving mercy that became a problem. Because like, like Jonah, we all love to get mercy, don't we? We, we want to be treated better than we deserve. We don't, want to, we don't want the hammer to come down every time we do something wrong. We, we want God to be merciful to us. And we want other people to be merciful to us, to cut us some slack. But even though he loved getting mercy, he didn't love giving mercy. What's wrong with that picture? We want God to cut us some slack, 
but we don't want him to cut others slack. We want God to be merciful to us, but we don't want him to be merciful to others. That's out of whack. That doesn't, that doesn't sync up with the heart of God. Well, as we take a look at this story, there's some things that we can learn from these ancient words, and I want us to spend just a couple of minutes considering what it is that we can learn. What, what, what's our take home? What, what do we bring home with us from today's message other than I know a few more things about Jonah? The first ancient word that we can bring home is this. God's call is not to be taken lightly. God's call is not to be taken lightly. Now, the odds are that none of you have been called to go to Nineveh and preach a message of doom and gloom. But I tell you this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then God has a call on your life. God has something to say to you. God has something he's calling you to do. God is a place he's calling you to engage. Now, one of the, that's one of the things, I, this, this place, foundational study place that we're doing, that's one of the things. It might help you to figure out what is it? What is, what is my calling? Where, where is God placing me? But I want to tell you, my story was not exactly like Jonah's, but I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do when he called me to do it. I had other plans. I actually wanted to make money. You know, I, I wanted to design buildings. My, my first initial thing was to be an architect. And then I realized, well, you've got to know math. I wasn't the best at math. And, and then I decided, you know what? I want to go into broadcasting. I, I, I want to be a broadcaster. I hear with the, these DJs on the radio sound like they're having so much fun. That's what I want to do. I want to I be a disc jockey. That's what I, I want to get out there and do that. And, and, and that was the direction I was heading. And that was a path that I was charting for myself. And, and I had it all figured out. But God had already told me, even back in high school, even before I was a Christian, that God had said, I want you in ministry. And it didn't fit with my plans. First of all, because I wasn't a believer. But secondly, because I wanted to do something else. I wanted to have fun with my life. And being a preacher didn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But God had called for my life. Many of you know my testimony, but it was only after I surrendered to Jesus Christ and said, okay, God, if you want me to go into ministry, that's where I'll go. It's only then that, I, that, that, that my life began to have a sense of clarity, a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. And, and I've never looked back on that call. This is God's call to me. In, in planning our, our mission trip, um, there was a couple going on the trip who said, you know, it's just not working out. We just need to call and we need to, we need to X out and just say we're, we're not going to be able to go. Sorry, it just didn't work out. Until driving home, God spoke to, to Matt Furman and said, that's where I want you to be. And so Matt called and said, if you hadn't called her yet, don't call her. We're going. Despite the, the problems, despite the, the, the um, inconvenience, we're going to do what God's called us to do. And, and folks, I've got to tell you, that's what God wants you to do. We cannot take the call of God lightly. Whether it is to pay for someone's meal at McDonald's, or to go on a mission trip, or to be a part of a local ministry here with school kids or wherever it might be, when God calls you to something, don't take the call lightly. 
This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. When God tells us to go, we need to go. When God tells us to speak, we need to speak. Don't look back. Look forward. Because that is where the plan of God is for you. The second truth that we can bring out of this is that we cannot pick and choose the attributes we want God to possess. God is who he is. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he told Moses. I am who I am. There are so many people that have this concept of who God is. He's a grandfather sitting up on a big throne just waiting to pull you up in his lap. He's all lollipops and rainbows. And then we, we, we read through the book of Hebrews and we run into something that says, Our God is a consuming fire. And we go, well, that doesn't fit. Let me stick with the lollipops and rainbows. In other words, what we do is we define God in the way we want him to be instead of allowing God to define himself. And that's precisely what Jonah had done. Jonah said, this is a way I want God to be, and if God can't be that way, then I'm going to mope about it. I'm going to go sit up on a hill and be miserable and mad. Folks, when we allow God to be who he is, then we will find that we will become more like him. Otherwise, we're worshiping a God of our own creation, a God that we've made up, a God that we're comfortable with. The third ancient truth that we can take away is this, that God delights in showing mercy and grace. God delights in showing mercy and grace. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We didn't go through the streets of the Dominican Republic preaching doom and gloom that God is going to come and just crush you like a little bug. Instead, we went through the streets saying, do you know that God loves you? He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for you. And his purpose includes his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins. So that if you would believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, you would have eternal life. And you know, many of those people who heard that message, they embraced that message. And they became our brother, our sister. But there were others. And I think this morning of Moises, who took us to his house to pray for his blind mother. And we discovered that Moises was not a believer, although... I pray by now he is. But he said, I like to drink and I like to gamble. And he couldn't see how God would accept him and change him. He felt he had to fix himself up first. But it was like a light bulb went off over his head. When I, when I asked him a simple question, I said, if I were to offer you a gift, what would you do? And his response, real simple, take it. And I said, what you need to understand today is that God is offering you a gift. 
And that gift is eternal life through His Son, Jesus. And all you have to do is embrace it to make it yours. He's not far from the kingdom of God, and I pray that this very day that he has received that gift. Because you see, God delights in showing mercy and grace. The third truth is this. Fourth, excuse me. Our actions, our attitudes and actions must be shaped by the character of God. God's desire for us is that we be conformed to the image of his son. Jonah knew a lot about the character of God, but he didn't allow the character of God to shape his own character. And because of that, his attitudes and his actions were out of sync with God's will for him. I'm here to tell you one of the reasons that our attitudes and our actions are out of sync with the will of God is because we do not allow God to change us. We fight it every step of the way. We do not allow God to take from us these things that drag us down, these things that hold us back. God wants to remove those things from us. But you, and then we, we don't receive the things he has to give us. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who here doesn't need more of that? Well, that's exactly what he's trying to produce in us. Why can we not receive those things? Because we are so occupied with other things. Our hands are so filled with our stuff that we won't open them up and say, okay, God, you, you fill my hands. You fill my life. Jonah is dead and gone. But what we can learn from his life lives on if we're wise and we'll learn it. You have a call from God. Don't take that call lightly. Don't make God who you want him to be. Let God be God. Remember that you worship a God who delights in mercy and grace. And don't be so hard-hearted and hard-headed that you don't allow God's character to change your character so that you too can be one who delights in mercy and grace.